produce great transformation in our lives and in the lives of those we love. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's please take our seats. As Pastor just mentioned, we have been talking about um, covenants and we also began to talk about altars. And um, what we are seeking to understand is that um, there are circumstances in our lives that we um, that are sometimes due to um, uh, a covenant that either we or somebody representing us often an ancestor of ours may have entered into or entered into and um, because covenants are long or permanent commitments um, they affect us even when we don't want them to affect us alright uh-huh. it's like if somebody is in a bad marriage even though they don't like the fact that the marriage is not nice they are still in it right because it's a covenant um and so last last week we were looking at um what elijah did when he had to um turn israel away from the covenant that they had entered into with an idol called baal um and the reason and and so we began to talk about some preparatory things that we need to do or some things we need to do to make sure that we are strong enough to resist the influence of a covenant in our lives now when we realize that there is a covenant operating in our lives which is not of god um, we we what what happens then is that we then choose that we don't want to be a part or a party to this covenant anymore all right but the, the thing is that the other's party may not accept your decision okay you have decided that you don't want to be part of this anymore but the other the other spirits that your family intended to covenant with or you yourself has not accepted or agreed and so they are seeing you as a covenant breaker all right so you need to have the power of god working in your life to a degree that that spirit decides that it's not worth it it's not in its interest anymore to see you as a covenant partner please am i making sense all right you need to you need to become such that the spirit loses interest in you as in having you as a covenant partner am i, am I making sense is that, am i making if i'm not making sense let me know 
Okay, let me say that again. You see? Before we spoke about covenant, we spoke about contracts. Alright? And we said that to invalidate a contract, you have to go before a judge. Now, a, a, a contract, the difference between a, covenant, a contract and a covenant is that, you see, a, a contract is an agreement based on an exchange. Alright? That you will do this for me, I'll do this for you. Under these terms. Alright? And a contract is governed by certain laws. Alright? So, uh, uh, a, a, cover, a contract is an agreement that is reached where benefits are exchanged subject to certain laws that are in operation. And so a judge can declare that this contract is no longer in effect. Now, the difference with a covenant is that a covenant is long-term commitments that two parties make to each other. Alright? They're long-term binding commitments. Okay? So, the covenant the covenant is in force even when one party decides that I don't like this anymore. It doesn't change the, the, the covenant. It's still in force. Alright? That's why Jesus said that if you are married and you decide that I don't like this marriage anymore, I'm going. You say you're committing adultery. Alright? He said, unless your partner has done something to break the covenant, then that gives you a basis. Alright? To say that because my partner has broken the covenant, I am now released. Alright? Uh-huh. So when you come to Jesus Christ and you make a commitment to Jesus Christ, in the eyes of the spirits that you are in covenant with, you are now a covenant breaker. Alright? But that spirit does not chooses to not leave you alone still. But rather wants to insist that it is rather Jesus who is illegitimate. Please, am I making sense? Alright? That spirit believes that it rather has a right to your life. It is Jesus Christ who <laughs> is intruding. Okay? So it it will not voluntarily let go of dealing with you until it becomes convinced that there is no benefit in pursuing you anymore. At that point, then it will leave you alone. Is that making sense? Are you, are you following now? Uh-huh. Alright. So, when people become born again, these priests don't typically leave them alone because they are yet to see that your commitment to Christ is actually now producing an effect that is making you unattractive. You are no longer interesting. Okay? You are no longer interesting. You see? There's a story in the Bible about King David. When his first wife, when he married, later on, his father-in-law became unhappy with him and gave his wife to another man. Okay? When David became king, he went for his wife back. She's still my wife. Okay? I never divorced her. (laughs) This marriage was never dissolved. She's still my wife. All right? Uh Uh-huh. Now, if at that time he decided to go for his wife, look, I said, 
this woman, the way she has become now, I don't, I'm not interested anymore. Then he could have left her for the other man. All right? But he said that, no, I'm still interested. And so he went back for his wife. The Bible says the man was following her crying as she was being taken away. <laughs> All right? So, <laughs> so that's the nature of covenant. All right? That once the covenant is in effect, if you are, if you, if the other party does not lose interest in your life, then it will continue to pursue and attempt to participate in your life. Hallelujah. Therefore, if you don't make any effort to drive it away, it will still lay claim and think it has legitimate right to infiltrate your life. Am I making sense? If you don't understand, let me know so that I don't go on and on and on and on. Am I making sense? Okay. So, we see Elijah took certain steps which we want to learn from. Alright? And we saw the last time, the first thing he did was that he repaired God's altar which had been broken down. We, uh, that, um, the passage is from, um, um, First Kings chapter 18. Alright, from verse 30. Okay. So last time we said he repaired the altar of the Lord. <coughs> Alright, then we, we began to talk about altars and we said that altars are places where offerings are made to spirits. Alright, and as a human being, you have an altar. And that altar is your heart. And from your heart, you can either offer, make offerings to God or you can make offerings to other things. For example, money. That's why Jesus said that no one can serve two masters. Either he will love one and hate the other. So you can't love God and mammon or God and money. Alright? It means that from your heart, you can make offerings to money. How do you make offerings to money? Let me give an example. You can meet a human, you can meet somebody, a person is a Christian, and when they are making a decision, their primary consideration is money and not God. when they are making a decision in their life, the number one thing they consider is the is money. Whether money will leave them or money will come to them. And not God. Such a person, their heart is dedicated more to money than to God. And so, when they are living their life for money, The person may claim he's serving God, but he's living his life for money. And so his life is being lived in offering to money.
So, an altar is a place where offerings are made. Some of the young men of this generation, their hearts are continually being offered to sexual immorality. Pornography. You see? So, an altar is a place where an offering is made to a spirit. And it is the offering or the sacrifice that makes that place an altar. Hallelujah. So, is there is so in repairing the altar of the Lord, we are talking about restoring your heart to a place where the sacrifices of God are continually offered. All right? Making your, your, your heart become a place where rather than sacrifices being made to your ambitions, to your career, and to other things, rather, your heart is a place where offerings are being made to God, where your life is continually being offered to God. Hallelujah. You see, you see what, what is your life being offered to every day as you live your life? What is your life being offered to? Is your life being offered to achieve your ambitions? Or is your life being offered to secure the will of God? Alright? So, restoring the altar of God in you is talking about your life becoming a place where your life is continually being lived as an offering to God. And therefore, God becomes the number one consideration in the decisions that you take in your life. What does God want? What does God want? What does God want? Not that we take decisions we do what we think is best for us, then when we get into trouble, then we are looking for God's will. Alright? If we do that, if we live that way, then we are not living our lives for God and our lives are not being offered to God. But our lives are being offered to something else. And God has simply become a way for us to be able to successfully achieve whatever dreams or ambitions that we have. Please, am I am I making sense? Is that is that is that clear? All right. So we want to move on to see what else Elijah did. The next thing that um, Elijah did in verse thirty-one says, "And Elijah took twelve stones, according to the number." of the tribes of the sons of Jacob. And with the stones, verse 32, okay, let me finish verse 31. And to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. Verse 32. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two measures of seed. All right, so... 
we are interested in the 12 stones. The Bible tells us why. The Bible says that the 12 stones represents the full number of the tribes of Israel. Hallelujah. The steps that Elijah was taking, he was taking on behalf of the whole nation of Israel. Okay? It was Israel that had turned away from God to go and serve other gods. And Elijah was working to turn their hearts back to the living God. And in rebuilding the altar of the Lord, he took 12 stones. The 12 stones represents the complete sum of the nation of Israel. It means that if you are going to make an altar to God in your heart, it must you must put in all that you are. Hallelujah. It requires your whole being. It requires every part of you. Hallelujah. It, it requires all that you are. You can't leave any part out. All that you are must be part of what you are presenting to God. It must be part of what is, is now dedicated to God. Okay? So the Bible says that he took the stones according to the, the number of tribes by which Israel was numbered. So that no part of Israel was left out and no part of Israel was not counted. So if you are going to make your heart an altar to the Lord, it requires that you consider the fact that it is your whole being, all that you are. Okay? All that you are, that must be dedicated to God and what his purpose is. Like when Israel wanted to leave Egypt, the king of Egypt said to Moses, just take the men and take some animals. He said, you want to go and worship God and then go and make sacrifices to your God. And then Moses says, no. We'll take everything. Young, old, sheep, cows, everything, even our sandals. We'll take everything is going. Hallelujah. Because you can't serve God <laughs> with only part of you. It doesn't work. <laughs> when you try it, you will fail. And it will not be because it's a demon that is worrying you. It's because you are trying to do something that doesn't work. You can't serve God with only part of you. You were designed to serve God with all of you. A part of you alone cannot save God. All of you is required. Otherwise, it becomes impossible to save God. Hallelujah. So, the 12 stones represents the whole of you. The next thing that happened was that the Bible says that um, so he built an altar in the name of the Lord. All right? 
um, it was not about his agenda. Okay? It was not about his agenda. What he was doing was for God's sake. Hallelujah. When we, when, when we are working with God, we must be careful that we don't start treating God like he's a tool to be used to serve our agenda and our purposes. And must, we must understand that if we are working with God, it is he who is the focus. And we have been privileged to be called unto him to have a part in what he is doing. Alright? It is not that, you see, sometimes we spend time fasting and praying and what we are doing is that not, it's not that we are seeking God's will but we are seeking God's assistance so that we can accomplish what we have decided we want to do. Alright? I've never done that before. I mean, I've done it before. Okay? When we behave like that, we are using, trying to use God to carry out our agenda. It doesn't work. Because God is not a tool to be used. And God is not a means to an end. God is the end. God is the goal. God is the objective. God is what you must live for. Or who you must live for. When you try to put God in any other position, it doesn't fit. Alright? So, let's be careful that we don't try to serve God or claim we are serving God but we have our own agenda we have our own thing we want to do and God is simply the way we are trying to get our agenda accomplished it doesn't work the Bible says do not be deceived God is not mocked he says the one who sows to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption well, the one who sows to the spirit shall the spirit reap life eternal. Alright? God is not mocked. Now, let's look at another interesting thing Elijah did. The Bible says that he made a trench. Alright? He dug a pit around about the altar. Okay? What was this for? It was to contain water. Alright? If we go and read verse 33 to 35, it says that he put the wood in order and cut the bullock in pieces and laid him on the wood and said, Fill four barrels with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the, and on the wood. And he said, Do it the second time. And they did it the second time. And he said, Do it the third time. And they did it the third time. And the water ran round about the altar and he filled the trench also with water. Hallelujah. So, it's very interesting, right, that he's come to light a fire and the, and the, the thing he does is that he pours water on, it, on the wood first before he tries to light the fire. Alright, isn't that odd? Alright, now, 
in the Bible, we see that um, water uh, represents the word of God and also represents the spirit of God. Hallelujah. Mm. So we see in the Bible. And so the trench that he made round about the stones that he had piled up, all right, we see that he's making a place for water. All right? And keep in mind, I said the water in the scriptures represents the word and the spirit. All right? So he's making a place that can hold water. All right? Because his intention was that water should be held and retained. All right? He could have just poured the water on the sacrifice and the water would wash away and run off. All right? But he made a place for the water. All right? Now, I believe, all right? I believe, and I may be wrong, but I believe. The pastor may get up when I finish and say that what I say is not correct. So I believe that the water in this instance represents the word of God. All right? Why am I saying that? Because the Bible says that he filled the trench with water. All right? The infilling of the Spirit, you don't feel yourself. All right? It is, it is God who fills you with the Spirit when you make room available. But it is the word that the Bible says that you must put the word in yourself. Hallelujah. So the psalmist said, Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Are you following my argument? Alright? So because this, in, in the, this water that Elijah did, he filled the trench, or he got the trench filled. That is why I believe that this represents the word of God. Hallelujah. That you must make room for God's word. You see, there are some Christians who pray a lot, but they don't read their Bibles. Those Christians are dangerous. Don't become a Christian like that. Make room for God's word in your heart. Make room for God's word in your life. The Bible says that he made large room for this water and he poured the water in until the water overflowed. Okay? So, you must make room for God's word in you. And then you have the responsibility of putting the word inside you. Hallelujah. Until it overflows. What is the sign that it has overflow, it's overflowing? When you realize that in the course of normal conversation, you keep making reference to God's word and what God's word says. That is a sign that the word has entered you and it's now it's coming out. There is now an overflow. When you get into a situation, when you encounter a problem, and instead of mewu, what the first thing that comes out of your mouth is a scripture that speaks to and addresses the issue, that is a sign to you that what the word has gone inside you and there is an overflow. 
All right? So, he got a lot of water, right? Four barrels were poured three times. That's a lot of water. All right? And it was at that point that what? He called unto the Lord. And the Bible says that God then sent fire. Which is, I believe, is the fire of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Which came and burnt the meat, burnt the wood, burnt the stones, burnt the water. Hallelujah. When you see fire that burns water, you know that what is happening is not natural. Hallelujah. But what happens when water is heated? It tends to steam. Steam is high energy. If you remember your secondary school science, that is why steam can easily burn you. If you are cooking, for example, and you lift the lid and the steam goes over your arm, you feel the, the, the stinging pain. Because steam contains high energy, more than the boiling water. It can hurt you more than the boiling water. So when the fire of the Holy Ghost comes, it comes to impart energy to the word that you put inside you. Hallelujah. You may have been reading the Bible for a long time and you have not seen a certain impact. But the fire of the Holy Ghost will come one day and all that water inside you will begin to be changed to steam. And that will become dangerous to anything in your environment. Hallelujah. That is contrary to the source of that energy. Contrary to the spirit. Hallelujah. So Elijah set up this system which we can learn from. Okay? And the reason is that when you are going, last time, last time I was pointing out that when you, when you rise up, that you are going to go against an ancient system. An ancient system that is an evil system. You need to be prepared. You need to prepare yourself well because you have to always ask yourself that there is a good reason that this thing has been there a long time. You have a question? Oh, 7.45. Thank you. There is a good reason that this system has been operating a long time has not been kicked out. Alright? It means that something it has an ability to sustain itself. So if you want to fight it, you don't just get up and start fighting it. Hallelujah. You need to what? be well equipped. And so in this process that Elijah went through, we learned some important lessons All right, about how to prepare ourselves to be able to deal with these covenants that we are talking about. Because some of these things are old. Some of them are old. 
and the older and more entrenched something is, the more powerful it becomes and the more difficult it is to dislodge it. All right? You consider your your teeth that you have now versus your baby teeth. Those ones came out easily. But the one in your mouth that has been growing for 20 years, if a dentist tries to remove it, <laughs> there will be great resistance. So when things grow and become established for long periods, they are not easily moved. And therefore, they require an extra, something extra must be brought to bear. Hallelujah. And we have a responsibility to make sure that we have adequately prepared ourselves to be able to deal with the thing that we have seen is working. You see, last time, there was a question that was asked. And in the answer I gave, it seemed I was suggesting that, look, if the devil hasn't touched you, leave me alone. Okay? So, Pastor asked me to clarify. The thing is that these things, when they are working, you don't even realize that this thing in my life you see, it's, it's not like there's an announcement. There's no announcement that this problem that you have been dealing with for a long time, it is because of this covenant that is in your family. There's no announcement. You understand? So when you hear a message like this, you now have to take the responsibility to begin to pray and ask God, Lord, show me what I must address. Show me where this must be applied. Show me the things that are pulling me back or holding me down. Show me the altars that are fighting me. Sometimes there's a pattern in the family that is so evident that you can see that this one, I have to, I have to deal with it because if I don't deal with it, it will affect me. And sometimes it's not so obvious. When I say a pattern that is obvious, an example could be that it could be in a family where at a certain age, something happens to everybody. Or when people, whenever people marry, something happens. Or maybe they don't even marry at all. Or they never finish school. Things like that. All right? Those ones are more obvious. Where well, you can see that, hmm, this doesn't look normal. All right? Or at a certain point in, in, their, in their life, uh, almost everybody develops a certain disease. Those ones are easier to pick up. Alright? But then there are some that are not so obvious. You see? There are some that are not so obvious. And then, and therefore, 
we must ask the Lord for to help us know where we are being impacted and what we can do. Hallelujah. Because the purpose of a teaching like this is to open our eyes to begin to see what we couldn't see before. Something can be in front of you and yet you don't see it because you don't even have any conception that such a thing exists. But once enlightenment comes, now you are able to recognize that, ah, this thing looks like what was being spoken of. So let me interrogate it and see. Hallelujah. All right. Any questions so far? All right, let me continue. Oh, okay. Okay, so our sister is asking that it seemed like I said that if you pray without any scripture, that prayer is not useful. Um, so what I was saying was that there are Christians who love to pray, but they don't like reading their Bibles. I don't know whether you've met some before. Okay, the, if you say prayer, they'll start praying right now. Especially when you say we are praying against witches. They will fast with you right now. If you say, let's do three days fast against the witches that are worrying us. They will, they will start right now. But if you say, let's do Bible study. <laughs> for 30 minutes every day. For the next three days. You won't find them. <laughs> when the time comes, they will, they will not be around. They will find an excuse. They may even get sick. Uh-huh, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, does that make sense? So that um, we don't become imbalanced, all right. When you when you do that, you become imbalanced, all right, and it begins to affect you, all right. If you are somebody who likes fasting a lot, you like praying a lot, you don't like reading your Bible, you are imbalanced, and at some point, your your imbalance is going to undermine your whole spiritual growth. And it's going to cause many problems for you. And the enemy is likely to deceive you because you don't know the scriptures. Right? And the scriptures that will protect you against deceptions. Uh-huh. So does that, is that clear? Okay. So there are other things in this um, story about Elijah that we can look at, but I think we'll move on. Um, so the, the the point from the story of Elijah is that um, <coughs> we need to prepare ourselves, all right, when we are going to deal with. If you if you decide that I've seen this thing in my family, I'm going to deal with it. All right, what we are saying is that you need to prepare yourself. All right. And the preparation doesn't have to take years. (laughs) 
Okay. Uh -huh. So don't say that I'm going to spend uh, the next two years. Some people, some people, when you ask them anything they plan to do, so next year. Everything next year. All right, don't be like that. All right? Uh -huh. it, it, you don't have to take one year to prepare yourself. All right? But what you need to... Is that a question? What you need to do is to prepare yourself. All right? Make sure that your heart is right before God. Make sure that you, are, you have put the word of God inside you. All right? And then seek God in the place of prayer. And receive a certain endowment of the spirit. Hallelujah. Mm. Receive, seek God and receive a certain endowment of the spirit. Because Jesus said that he loves to give good gifts. He said your father loves to give good gifts. He says therefore ask him to give you the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. And the reason why it's important to prepare your heart is because the Holy Spirit is very selective in where he likes to stay. Okay? So don't make your heart like a dump and then expect the Holy Ghost to come and stay there. Alright? The Holy Ghost is very selective. So create in you a place that the Spirit will find room. Hallelujah. And the reason why it's important that you seek God to receive a certain endowment of the Spirit is because you are going to deal with spiritual things. And you don't deal with spiritual things in the flesh. You deal with spiritual things spiritually. And therefore, the Holy Spirit must be active in your life. Hallelujah. Not that the last time you heard him was five years ago when he spoke to you. That's not good. You must be active in your life. Daily active in your life. Okay? And that doesn't have to take one year. Hallelujah. It doesn't have to take one year. God responds to the desire of your heart. If you desire to have more of him, he will give you more of himself. If you desire other things too, he can tell. Hallelujah. All right. So I guess the reason why I am I'm emphasizing that let's not take the something that will take us years to do is because I don't want us to walk away thinking that, oh, um, uh, I need to now take a long time to become spiritual. That's not, what, that's not what I'm saying. Okay? I'm saying that get your heart right. And that shouldn't take long. Because the problem if your heart is not right for long. So if your heart is not right, get that fixed quickly. Hallelujah. Uh -huh. Getting your heart right with God, it, if it takes long, then it means that you are being stubborn. 
It means that when God is pointing out the things that need to change your heart, you are not you are not cooperating with Him. Okay, so none of the things we are talking about necessarily take a long time. All right? Maybe putting the word of God in you. That one is a process that goes over your whole life. So you start, you never finish. Hallelujah. It's like Pastor doesn't stop reading the Bible because he knows a lot. You understand? You, you never finish. It's a lifelong thing. All right. Uh-huh. The thing is that have you dug a trench? Is there room in you for the word of God? How is that room created? That room is created through your desire for the word and through your willingness to accept the word of God and what it says to you. That is how the room is created in you. You understand? Your desire for the word and your willingness to accept what the word says to you. Because not everything that people read in the word of God that they accept that this is what the word of God is saying, I must do it. <clears throat> Amen. All right. So, after this, when the fire had come down and bent all the, the offerings and everything, that was when Elijah got up and arrested all the fetish priests. Hallelujah. And killed all of them. All right. How many of you would like to arrest fetish priests? I would like to arrest fetish priests. You don't want to arrest fetish priests. Huh? Hey, nobody wants to arrest fetish priests. I'm not talking about physical arrest, though. Oh, you think it's physical arrest I'm talking about? No, no, not physical arrest. Uh, spiritual arrest. Hallelujah. All right. He, <laughs> he arrested the 400, I think about 400 fetish priests. And he killed all of them in one day. All right. So we have to arrest some fetish priests. Hallelujah. A priest keeps the altar going. A priest does what is needed to keep the covenant working and powerful. And therefore, eliminating priests is very useful. Hallelujah. Alright? Eliminating priests is very useful. When I say eliminating, I'm not saying that you should pray that they should die. But you should be able to render them powerless. Hallelujah. It's eight. Okay, thank you. Alright? You should... We, we must quickly come to the place where we can render the priest powerless. Hallelujah. How many of us have an idol in our house and one of your uncles and so on is the one who is keeping the thing going? And he prays regularly. Well, let me see your hand. It's the common thing here in Ghana. Is that all? Uh-huh, okay. All right. Hey, what's that? Uh-huh. <laughs> Last year, I was a certain town for a funeral. And I went to greet some of the elders before the funeral started. And one of the old ladies in the family was giving a testimony about how there was a teenager in the family who had gotten pregnant and 
she was in labor and she couldn't deliver. And they brought her to the idol's house. And the Bushapeni started saying prayers. And saying prayers. And saying prayers. So within 30 minutes or one hour, the girl delivered. And I said, Ah, this old lady is giving testimony of our idol. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? So. <laughs> So, if you pray that your uncle should die, another uncle will replace him. Or your cousin. Or maybe they'll come and call you yourself. (laughs) So, (laughs) we are not interested in killing people. (laughs) Rather, we want to make that operation grind to a halt. Hallelujah. That's what we're interested in doing. See, we want to make that operation grind to a halt. That the thing, it doesn't work anymore. When they do the things, nothing happens. Like, if you read this full story, the Bible says that the fetish priest, Elijah told them, you go first. They did their, their charms and everything, and nothing happened. You see? So that's what we want, that's what we want to happen. That if you go and take a cutlass and cut them, you are guilty of murder. If you pray that they should die, you have to be very, very careful that the enemy doesn't use that against you. Alright? Generally, it's not a good idea to pray for people who should die. Because you yourself, you don't know what is keeping you alive. Right, and like I said, even if a person dies, another will replace him or her. So our interest really is shutting down that whole system, so that eventually they will all lose interest because this thing doesn't work anymore, and they will know it is you who has done it. Uh, we are out of time. We'll go to the next week. We'll look at another story in the Bible to see how to deal with the altars. I thought we'd get to that today, but we didn't. Alright? How to deal with the altars. And how to shut down the system. Okay? So, we, we must shut down the system um, so that it stops being operational. And even if you can't shut it down for the whole family, you must shut it down its effect on you and your descendants. Hallelujah. That must be where you must start from. At the very minimum, you must cut off its effect on you and those that come under you. You are responsible for that. Because you are also a priest. You see? You are God's priest. Jesus said in Romans, uh, the Bible says in Revelation chapter 1, verse 6, that he has made, Jesus has made you a priest unto God. You see? 
you are not fetish priests. But you are ghost priests. But you play the same role. You understand? <laughs> you play the same role. It's just that you, God doesn't let you do strange, strange, strange things. You do some strange things. When you speak in tongues, it's, it's a strange thing. Mm-hmm. You understand? But you don't go and kill chickens and those things like that. All right? But you're also a priest. And you can also access God's ability. Hallelujah. Please, were you going to say something? That's a question. Okay. Which for experience? So the killing experience. Ah, okay. So if you find yourself in a situation that one among you know, the families to rest of is declared, and then you pray for healing that. Right. Yes. Oh, yes. You have not killed him. God has judged the person, right? If you, if you, you see, even there are situations where God may declare judgment through your through your lips. All right, that's not a problem. You are operating under God's authority. What I was talking about is a is a case where you yourself decide that this person must die. That one you are not. Uh, you, you, you don't have sound scriptural basis to determine that somebody must die like that. Uh-huh. Yes, please. If, if, if God had killed Saul, you know how I many, if the early Christians had been praying for Saul to die, we would not be saved by now. You don't like because of Apostle Paul that we are all here. Pardon me. They are also killing. Ah... <laughs> because Jesus has paid for their sin. Yeah, uncomfortable. Oh, Jesus, <laughs> this one too, you die for them. <laughs> Jesus has paid for their sin. So when you go before God and say that this person must die because of what they are doing, you are suggesting that God's mercy that this person does not deserve it. Once you start operating on that, you have shifted the skills. So now you are also suggesting that you too mercy it can, your, your life should be considered to see whether you cry, you should receive mercy or not. See, once you start making the argument before God that somebody should not receive mercy, then you also come under examination. You say you are you are very qualified. That's why you can determine that somebody should not get mercy. So you also come under examination. And if the enemy finds a basis to argue to God that Rita herself, who is saying that this relative should die. God, have you considered this, this, and that in her life? Now, 
you can't appeal to Jesus because you always say Jesus one doesn't work for somebody, so why should it work for you? <laughs> you? You see, so it becomes a slippery, slippery slope. Am I making sense or am I confusing you? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Where, where did you see that in the Bible? Where did you see that in the Bible? You see why I said that people who pray and don't read the Bible, they will become dangerous. <laughs> ah, he said there's this prayer that she has heard. Yemboya Tanfu Etio. Let's shoot our enemies. And then they make the sound of a gun shot. Pine. And I was asking her that if she's seen that one in the Bible, then we will all pray right now. Because, you know, Ghanaians like that kind of prayer. But if we were praying that, by now this place would be full. Even people who are not changing members to cry, they person that they'll, they'll enter. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, just a minute. So, <laughs> the only place the main place in the Bible where you see somebody praying for people to die is the Psalms. Where it speaks of the enemies of God that they must die. Or the Psalm will say, I wish I wish that something, they will say all kinds of horrible things. Alright? Uh-huh. But even those prayers, you should not pray them against any human being. All right. Um, for a number of reasons that I can't get into right now. All right. Uh huh. Ah, okay. So, 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 my brother is asking that his head archbishop is a host of preaching that the Bible says, "Suffer not a way to live." All right. Uh-huh. So for him, if he catches on you, you're a witch. You see, I think with someone like him is that he will give you a chance to repent. If you refuse to repent, he, some people have authority before God, and the authority allows them to pass certain levels of judgment. Mm-hmm. So when you see him saying that. I mean, he would openly challenge witches. Right? There's this well-known story about he trying to stop a witches' conference. And he told the, the leader of the witches on TV that, I will kill you right now. And he was not using a gun. <laughs> you understand? Uh-huh. But that was because there was a confrontation and the witches were trying to challenge that God is not powerful enough. So when he says, I'll kill you right now, what he's actually saying is that I will show you that the God that you are claiming is not powerful, has power. But anyway, the witch changed his mind, so he didn't even carry out his... <laughs> okay, uh-huh. So, generally, let's avoid those things. Like I said, if you kill the person, another person rise up in this place. And that one who rises up will probably be even more evil than the one you killed. That's usually what happens. When you cut off what the enemy is doing, 
and you don't replace it with righteousness, if you don't plant something righteous in this place, what grows out of the stump will typically be an order of magnitude or orders of magnitude more evil than what you eliminated. Alright? So when you don't know how to replace the evil with righteousness, don't go cutting things down that you don't understand. Because you may actually create worse problems than what existed before. All right. Any other question? Yes, please. Yes, there is a place for asking God to send angels to deal with certain things on our behalf. Uh -huh. um, because we have our boundaries. Uh -huh. uh, but um, So there's a place for that. But I, I also don't want to get into that because I won't, be able, I won't have time to explain it well. A covenant is not like right, all right. Okay, so the the question is, um, I had said earlier on a few weeks ago that uh, when you enter into a contract with a spirit, and uh, you can make a case before God, who is the judge, that. <coughs> the basis of the contract was invalid because the contract violated God's law. And then ask God that the contract should be invalidated or it should be rendered of no effect. Alright? Uh -huh. And so, so I was asking, why is it that essentially you can't do that with a covenant? Right? Uh -huh. So the difference between contracts and covenant is that a contract is an agreement in which two parties exchange certain benefits within the confines of the law. It's actually, so you will find, for example, in contracts with human, between human parties, almost always you will see the, they will state the jurisdiction, the law, which land's laws govern the contracts. Right? So we'll say, that, for example, if it's, a, if it's in Ghana, we'll say that this contract is subject to the laws of Ghana. If you do a contract with somebody in the UK, the person may say that the contract should be governed by British law and not Ghanaian law. Mm -hmm. So the very basis of the contract and what gives the contract its power is the law. 
All right. Uh -huh. Now the thing with a covenant, the difference with a covenant is that a covenant is a permanent commitment that one each party makes to the other irrespective of what the loss is. It's a commitment. All right? And it is, its, it's power is not founded on what the law says or doesn't say. It's in the power of that commitment and what is backing that commitment. That's where the, that's where the covenant gets its power from. Alright? So, if it turns out that um, uh, the covenant is, is based on an illegality, alright? Let's say, for example, let's try and use a human example. Let's say that a man goes to marry an underage female. Alright? Uh-huh. Because of the nature of our legal system, that um, marriage can be annulled. All right. And the reason is that our, even our marriage covenants are, 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 on, are executed on the basis of the laws of Ghana. All right. So even what we call a marriage covenant, from the perspective of the government of Ghana, you can only, you can only be legally married in Ghana based on the laws of Ghana. All right? So the government may annul the marriage, but it doesn't mean that spiritually the covenant is broken. Are you, are you understanding me? Uh -huh. So, um, we see in the Bible that when Israel was deceived and entered into a covenant that they shouldn't have entered into, God still held them to it, that you can't walk away because you found out that you were deceived. You must still respect it. All right? And that covenant continued for generations. And when generations later, King Saul broke the covenant, Israel was severely punished for it. Even though the covenant had been based on a fraud. God did not... Um, so that suggests that if you allow somebody to deceive you, and you marry the wrong person and you come to God crying he may not he may be sympathetic but he will not release you from that, <laughs> that marriage because the person deceived you alright uh -huh. I don't know that that helps uh -huh. so there's probably more to it than that, but that's what I can think of right now. I don't know if so far, I don't know if you want to add anything to that one. Let me say that 
And in fact, to understand this thing very well, um, he will need to finish teaching on covenants. Because what has happened is that because over time the subsequent generations that have come have not really understood what a covenant is even though it still works they've torn it they've modified it in in, in a certain way and, and that is why things like contracts and and things have come up it, it it looks like a covenant and yet it is not really one it is a clone um, I, okay what, what word can we use for a clone it's like an imitation okay and it's because the same way that we don't understand kingdoms because we grew up in a democracy. Okay? So, for example, um, I read something on, was it BBC, not, not long ago. Uh, one of the queen's, I think, grandchildren came and then they were talking, the Queen of England. And she said something to the girl and the girl said no. And then the queen slapped the girl on the hand. You never say no to the queen. She's grown up in a, that doesn't understand that. As a queen, the mindset is that of a kingdom. But she has grown up in a democracy. That's why she could say no to the queen. But in a kingdom, you can't say no to a queen or, or a king because the, the, the king or the queen owns everything. Okay? So, um, time that we have won't be enough because I, when I look at the, as he explained the things, I could see some people becoming a lot more somewhere. And it's all because he hasn't really completed dealing with what a covenant is for all of us to see its nature, okay, in that detail. Then it will be easier. Once you see um, an original money, the genuine one, over and over, once you see the fake one, then... But a contract is a kind of a toned-down, modified uh, covenant that seems to overlook all the spiritual implications that goes with a covenant. Okay. So a contract approaches it more from, should I say, the natural angle with the natural things, the minds, uh, the mental without taking into account of the invocation of spiritual entities into this thing.
All right. The same way many of us have grown up in Accra and we haven't seen evil power. So we live our Christian work as if we work in the bank. Do you understand? But if you have seen X smash on the ground, you have seen cats that have been tied and their neck cut and tied to a tree. You have seen all this at crossroads. When they call for all night, you show up. They did, you wake up in the, you open your door, there is a crucified cat on a cross in front of you. You will have an all night. But because when you wake up, it's politing back that, that are in front of your houses. You just take things cool. <laughs> Thank you, Pastor. So we just have a few minutes left. Let's let's pray. Let's ask God that Lord um